My name is Jonathan Romig, and I'm the associate pastor here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. We're excited to uh, have you with us this morning. Uh, the first half, we worship the Lord through music and song and giving our offerings, and now we worship the Lord through the preaching of His Word. Uh, so please join me in prayer, and then we'll begin. Father God, we need you here right now. May you be the potter and we be the clay. Use your word to mold us into who you want us to become. May your Holy Spirit be very evident among us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a city in Asia, modern day Turkey, called Sardis. This city had about 100,000 people in it. And in times of conflict, they would flee to a ridge line that was next to the city. And at this ridge line, uh, there was a citadel, a fortress, where they could go and be secure. And this, this citadel wasn't just any citadel, it was actually on a rock, there was a steep cliff, so it seemed especially impenetrable. It seemed like no one could get them out of this fortress. But in 549 BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, came to war against Sardis. And they surrounded the city. And the story goes that uh, they, the Persian soldiers had no idea how they were going to capture the city. And so uh, they were waiting and watching. And one day, one of the, Sardin, the soldiers of Sardis, he dropped his helmet off the side of the fortress. Instead of leaving it there, he exited the fortress and he walked down this secret, almost invisible path that was on the side of the cliff. And he grabbed his helmet and he went back up. And of course, the Persian soldiers were watching him. So later that evening, they took a small detachment of soldiers and they went up the path to the city. And they found that Sardis was so confident in that side of the wall and in their fortress, in the cliff, that they had left it unguarded. And that's how the Persian soldiers captured Sardis. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be that soldier that night. See, overnight, they thought they were impenetrable. They thought they were strong, and overnight they fell. And this happened several times throughout the history of Sardis. In 214 BC, they fell once more, practically overnight. And in AD 17, an earthquake demolished them out of nowhere. John is writing in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, to the church of Sardis, who comes from this city. This is their history. And much like Sardis fell unexpectedly, John is warning the church that they too may fall unexpectedly. Just like Cyrus, king of Persia, came in the night, so Jesus will come against them if they do not repent of their sins. That they think they are strong, but they are weak. They just don't know it. And so as we look at this text today, Revelation 3, verses 1-6, through 6, we have to ask ourselves the same thing. Are we confident in who we are 
And yet our foundation is weak. Are we secretly vulnerable to the attacks of culture, to greed, to materialism, to not sharing our faith about Jesus? Where are we vulnerable? What can we learn from this text? Well, let's read through Revelation 3, 1 through 6. This is the words of Jesus as he addresses the church. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus says the church in Sardis is dead. What makes a church body dead? It's an important question. Well, a sleepy church is a dead church. A sleepy church is a dead church. And a church is sleepy when it does not witness, when it does not share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at this passage, chapter 3, uh, it's a little difficult to see what the problem is in Sardis. What are they struggling with? Why does Jesus call them dead? Well, the first hints of Sardis's lack of witness appears in verse 1 when Jesus addresses the church. So look closely at verse 1. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we can see that the problem is the lack of witness by actually comparing it to another letter to a different church in the book of Revelation. And that's the church of Ephesus. Because we see little things that are very similar in Sardis and in Ephesus. We call them parallelisms. That we see uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, if we look at Ephesus, it says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So in chapter 3 to Sardis, Jesus uh, is referring to the seven spirits of God, which are just uh, is the Holy Spirit. The seven is the number of completion, and he's referring to the seven stars. Seven stars represents the angelic messengers of the churches, the representatives. And in Ephesus, there's also the seven stars, but then there's the seven lampstands. The lampstands refer to the churches. So in both passages, we see the stars. And the problem at the church in Ephesus is their lack of evangelism. It's their lack of witness, that they have forgotten their first love, that they have abandoned Christ. Their first love, sharing the good news about Jesus. Sardis, too, has abandoned Christ in the midst of a culture that is hostile to Christianity. It doesn't matter that, uh, that their outward appearance is one that is strong. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. No matter what other churches think of the church in Sardis, or what Sardis thinks of itself, or what culture thinks of the believers in Sardis. 
no matter what their outside actions appear, they are dead. And it's because of their lack of witness about Jesus that they have forgotten the Gospel. But there is good news for the church in Sardis. There is good news. Even a sleepy church can rise again with God's help. Now, look back to verse 1 again, where Jesus addresses the Holy Spirit and the angels. These are supernatural representatives of the church. This is divine help. See, the problem is so bad in Sardis, they have abandoned Christ in the culture. The problem is so bad that Jesus calls upon the Holy Spirit and the angels to help them. In Ephesus, the problem wasn't as bad. So Jesus refers to the angels and the churches. But the problem is so bad that they need that help. But this is also good news because it says the Holy Spirit is here to help, to move you. And what does Jesus tell them to do? There's two imperatives or commands in the passage. Jesus tells them to do two things. There's to be, as in awake, to be awake and to be strengthened. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Jesus is telling them to be awake. Now, this, this word awake is a, it, it's in the uh, continual state. So it's not just wake up once and then go back to sleep, you know, have a short burst of evangelism, have a short burst of witnessing, and then, you know, take your nap. It's saying, no, no, be awake continually for me. Always be sharing the gospel. This, this word is about continual watchfulness. And then the passage says, be strengthened. Now, what does that sound like? Wake up and be strengthened. Sounds like going to the gym. The church of Sardis is to get out of bed, to get out of its deathbed, and rise and share the good news about Jesus. Nobody likes to wake up in the morning and go to the gym, but Jesus is calling the church of Sardis to get up and to go. Even a sleepy church can rise again with the help of the Holy Spirit. My friend Rob lives in Florida, and uh, Rob recently started doing door-to-door evangelism with his associate pastor at the church. And, uh, you know, they, they go and they visit these churches, and the people that they visit are uh, the people that have recently visited the church. They visit people that have been visitors, or they've recently checked off the box on their welcome card that says, yes, I want to believe in Jesus, and so they go and they talk to them about the gospel. It's one more opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. Now, Rob is not someone I would consider a door-to-door evangelist. When I knew him in D.C., he just didn't seem like that kind of person. So I asked him, why are you doing this? He had two answers. He said, first, I felt like the Holy Spirit was convicting me that I needed to go and to share the good news about him. And second, evangelism is like working out a muscle. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And he has to, to get up. And he, and he found himself to be more confident. The more often he got to share the good news about Jesus to be a witness, the better he felt about it and the better he got at it. And that's the, the same message for us today. Are we intentionally putting ourselves in places 
where the Holy Spirit can use us as His witnesses. It's not just waiting for the gym to come to us, for the opportunity to come to us. We have to go and help create the opportunity, to help create the witness. Even a sleepy church can rise again with God's help. There's a lot we can learn from Rob in this passage. Now, the sleepy church of Sardis is near death. It's a serious problem. So what should they do about it? What is the solution? Well, the text itself points to the solution. The word therefore appears in our passage. In the ESV, it's it's translated as then in verse 3. Remember then, so remember therefore what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. An awake church is a worthy church. This is what the passage is calling us to. It says, an awake church is a worthy church. But what does it mean for a church to wake up? A church wakes up when it remembers the Gospel. A church wakes up when it remembers the good news. Before anything else, Jesus calls the church of Sardis to remember what you received and heard. This is another parallel with the church of Ephesus. Because Jesus also calls that church to remember. To remember the Gospel, to remember the good news about the church, to remember the doctrines, uh, to remember what they received and what was passed on. That's part of the solution. Letting the good news fill them. Letting the Gospel fill them. And so we too need to remember, to recall to mind the good news that we heard about Jesus. And maybe you're new here, maybe you're not a Christian, or you've never heard the gospel before. You've never heard the good news. This message is for both both of us, all of us. The gospel is that Jesus is God, and God came to save us from our sins. Jesus came, and He lived a humble life. He lived perfectly. He lived perfectly holy. And holy isn't a term we use a lot today but he was sinless. He didn't sin in his outside actions. He, he never missed the mark. He never lied. He never stole. He never cheated. He never hated. Unless it was a righteous hate. But none of this also went on in his heart. He didn't sin in his heart either. It wasn't just outside actions. He was perfectly good. And he was obedient to God every single day because that's the root of what sin is. It's disobedience to God. He was so obedient to God, to his Father, that he went all the way to the cross. And at the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. So that if we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we receive the forgiveness that Christ died in our place. Scriptures say to repent and believe. That's what God calls us to. To repent and believe in Jesus Christ and we too will be saved. That Jesus will trade all of His perfection, all of His goodness, all of His holiness for our sinful, disobedient lives. And we get all of His goodness. And Jesus gets all of our sin. doesn't sound like a very fair trade. But it's the only thing that can save us. Whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian, you need to hear this message. You need to hear it again and again and again. That Jesus died for you. And that you need to, to soak in it. To saturate in it. 
to recall it to mind. Because if this message fills us, how can we stand idly by when the world perishes? We can't. A church wakes up, and you can too, when you remember the Gospel. Now a church also wakes up when it shows obedience through repentance. When it shows repentance through obedience. Let's look at verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Now, the words keep it and repent, another way you can say this is obey it and repent. Now, this is another parallel with the church at Ephesus. The problem is witnessing, lack of it. And uh, But notice in chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So in Ephesus, it first goes, repent and do the works. But at Sardis, it says, obey and repent. And I don't think that has sort of any timeline, but it's more of an emphasis on what the different churches need. See, Sardis, it's like, you know, we expect when our parents, you know, if you weren't too young that long ago, our parents will say, you know, you need to apologize and you need to change your ways. And Jesus is saying, show you apologize by changing your ways. Show your repentance through your obedience. And then follows a pretty stiff warning to the church of Sardis. That if they do not repent and they do not change, Jesus will come against them like a thief in the night. The introductions, so the the seven letters to the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 function as seven different introductions to the book of Revelation. So it's like you can read the book of Revelation through seven different angles, through the, the eyes of these different churches. Now you'll notice that the church of Sardis has a pretty harsh letter to it. See, the church of Ephesus, Jesus was writing to encourage that church in the, in the midst of persecution to, to continue forward, to, to press through. And Jesus is writing to Sardis a stern warning, saying that if you do not repent, if you do not change, you will be thrown into the hellfire and with the beast. That they are to read the rest of the book of Revelation, not from the angle of the saints, but from the angle of the evil dead. Maybe we need to hear that same warning too. That God calls us to be bold witnesses on His behalf. Pastor Dana said that one of the purposes of the book of Revelation is to jolt us into action. Well, here we see God bringing the divine shock paddles against the church of Sardis, against the heart, to say, wake up! Come alive! The consequences are too harsh and too severe if you do not. This is not an easy letter. This is not easy. But it shares good news. There is good news throughout it. The good news is that an awake church 
is a worthy church. And so as an awake believer is a worthy believer. An awake church is a worthy church, so an awake believer is a worthy believer. Read verse 4. It says, You have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The people in chapter 3, verse 4, who walk with Christ in white are those who have not saturated themselves in the culture. They are those in Sardis who have not given in to the idol worship and to the pagan culture, and that they are willing to stand out for Christ, to be witnesses on behalf of Jesus, to be evangelists, for it to be alive and, and vibrant faith, that they're all in, that it encompasses their whole life. Their witness is a bold witness that does not blend in. And is our witness here at Emmanuel a bold witness that does not blend in to society, to culture, and to New England? Or does the culture own us? Is the culture winning? We need to ask that question. Is the culture so in control of us that we don't know any non-Christians? Because that is one way the culture wins. It removes your witness from among the people that, that need the Gospel the most. Is the culture so in control of us? Does it so own us that we can't remember the last time we shared the Gospel with a non-Christian? Or if we did, it was months ago instead of this month? Wake up! Wake up! Our text says to wake up! Jesus is calling us to wake up! See the kingdom purposes that God has for you wherever you are. God is calling you to be a bold witness for Him not just on Sundays or Saturdays with a church program, but every single day of the week at your jobs. This time tomorrow, no matter where you are, that is the place you are supposed to be ministering to. Your job. God has set you there for a purpose. He ordained it. He put it in motion. Think of those people in your office where you work that need to hear the good news about Jesus. I don't know their names, but you do. Keith, Kim, Kathy, Joe. Whoever you're thinking of, God has called you to be a witness to that person, whether it's your job or your classmate. God has not called me to be a witness to them. God has not called Dana to be a witness to them. He has called you. And there is reward. If we obey Christ and we are His bold witnesses, Scripture says we will walk with Him in white. White is the color of purity, of heaven, of, of righteousness, and of victory. Do you want to share in that victory? You know, maybe it's in our culture, our church culture, that we don't see a lot of non-Christians here every week. I'm not sure why that is. But it's not a good reason. But the temptation when we hear a message like this that we, we need to be better witnesses for the Lord. We need to do more evangelism. The temptation is to go out and to create more church programs. The elders may soon call into existence an evangelism and outreach ministry team. 
But the purpose of this evangelism and outreach ministry team will not be to do evangelism for us. It will be to train us, to equip us, to help us conquer our fears, to share the good news about Jesus. Yes, we do wonderful things. We do upward basketball, reaching roughly 250 kids every week with the news about Jesus. But we can't look at that program and say, okay, well, they're doing it, so I'm off the hook because the church is doing it. Even Christianity Explored, it's a wonderful program and we should invite our friends and bring them. But we can't outsource evangelism. We can't outsource our bold witness about Jesus Christ to that program. We need to take personal responsibility for those God has placed in our life to share the good news about Him. Ultimately, we need to have a culture that is excited to share about Jesus. A culture here at this church that loves to talk about our Savior. And so one of the questions we ask is, how do we shift the culture? How do we change ourselves so that we are willing and we are excited to talk about Jesus all the time? That's not easy. It takes a lot of prayer. Uh, But there are simple things we can do to, to realign how we think. And one of those things we talked about this morning, small groups. A small group is a great place to be held accountable to brothers and sisters in Christ, to have them ask you the tough question, you know, this week at your job, how were you ministering to those around you? How were you praying for them? How are you being constantly ready to share the good news with them? And how are you watching out for them? These should always be open groups, excited to invite our non-Christian friends to these groups so that there's a safe place to learn about Jesus. And they should always have an outward focus of service, evangelism, reaching out. That is how you change a culture. Being a part of something that intentionally focuses on the lost and those who need Christ. So what's the big idea I want you to remember from this message? The, the main point. The main point of our passage from Revelation 3, 1-6 through 6, is this. Wake up and witness. For those who witness are worthy. Wake up and witness. For those who witness are worthy. Verse 5 says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now the verb, the one will be clothed thus in white, the one who will be clothed thus in white, That verb is in the future tense. It will happen. Now, the verb has an interesting voice. It's a passive voice. So, it's not passive. It's not a passive voice. It's not having the action done to it. It's not an active voice. You know, I'm uh, I'm clothing others with white. Instead, it's in the middle voice. So, that's a complicated way of saying, the one who conquers will cause himself to be clothed in white. That's a very accurate translation. The one who conquers will cause himself to be clothed in white. As evangelical Christians, when we run into a passage like this, it's hard to look at because it seems to place responsibility on us. The grammar makes it sound like we're responsible for earning our salvation, for earning our righteousness. And we evangelicals, we like to remember 
You know, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. We don't like to talk about passages like this. We like to run to passages when we come into something like this that talks about predestination, our election, our security in Jesus Christ. But sometimes I think that's not fair to the text. That we really need to look at the text and wrestle with it. What does it mean that the one who conquers will cause himself to be clothed in white? It's hard for us because we place so much emphasis on faith. But Christ is calling us to walk by faith. To live by faith. To be bold for Him by faith. To be all in for Him by faith. He's not calling us to sit by faith, to take it easy by faith. He wants us to have a bold faith, a living faith, an active faith, a vibrant faith. Not one that sits on the sidelines for Jesus, but one that is all in for Him. Wake up and witness, for those who witness are worthy. And there is so much reward for those who witness on behalf of Christ. Every worthy witness will enjoy the reward of God. Every worthy witness will enjoy the reward of God. The text continues, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now let me encourage you, this text is not about losing salvation. In fact, just the opposite. This passage is not a threat of loss, but a promise of gain. Jesus says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. In the Greek, this is the strongest, most emphatic way it can say, never, no, never. Jesus isn't saying just, you know, no, he can't lose his salvation. Jesus is saying, no, no, it's not even a possibility that anyone can take you out of my hand. And we should rest secure in that. That we belong to Jesus. And that should be our motivation for sharing about Him. See, if we have to rely on our witness, on our, if we have to do evangelism to earn heaven, then our evangelism is false. Because it doesn't come from the heart. It becomes a requirement. One more thing. But because Christ has so secured our salvation, we can be bold for Jesus because no one can ever blot our names out of the book of life. Christ Himself will not do it. And that's our motivation. That's why we can share the good news about Jesus fearlessly. So if right now you feel the Spirit's conviction, you know what? I do need to be a bolder witness about Christ. That's probably a pretty good sign that you belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. Rest confident that God is working out your salvation in you. Work it out. But if you have absolutely no desire to share about Jesus, that your faith is comfortable, and you have no desire to share the good news about Him, then I don't have that same promise for you. There is so much reward for those of us who fully commit to Christ, who, who love Him and are all in. The reward is that Christ Jesus will one day confess your name before the Father. 
Can you think of any higher honor than to have Jesus Christ himself say your name before God? I can't think of any higher honor. Our passage ends by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit has for you today? For us as a church to grow and to be challenged. We need to hear. Wake up and witness for those who witness are worthy. The people of Sardis fled to their citadel when it was under attack. They fled when the enemy forces came around them and threatened to overthrow them. And they thought they were secure, but they were not. They were overthrown by Cyrus. They were overthrown by their enemies. Culture is threatening to swarm around us as well. It wants to to knock us over, to overthrow us. It wants to get rid of the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if we're keeping the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners silent, then I think in some ways the culture is winning. And that's why we have texts like this. God calls us to stand on higher ground. He calls us to share about Him boldly, shamelessly. And that doesn't mean walking into work tomorrow and yelling about the Gospel. It means being constantly aware the Holy Spirit and putting yourselves in positions where you do need to share the Gospel, but ministering to those around you. Being bold for Christ. God is calling us to unashamedly share Him. To stand upon the rock that is Christ, not upon ourselves. To stand on higher ground. Wake up and witness. For those who witness are worthy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us wake up. Help us wake up for You. So fill us with the Gospel and the good news about You. So remind us of our security in You, that we belong to You, that we will share You, that we are unafraid, Lord. Help us conquer our fears. Make us into a bold witness. Make us into a church that has a culture that is so filled with the good news about You that it can't help but spill out. Jesus, we ask this humbly. In Your name we pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the grave, and Christ will shine on you. Amen.